You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. What do you think of when you hear the word church? Now, maybe there's a building that comes into your mind that is the church that you grew up going to. I know for me, uh, when I hear the word church, I still think back to the building that I grew up in, and, and I can imagine the orange carpet and they have orange carpet in their church and the, the padded pews and the kind of musty smell. They have that, that smell that comes to them and, and you think of the stained glass. That still is in my mind. It's, it's kind of what I think of when I think of a church. Now, maybe you grew up uh, in, in a Catholic church or a Protestant church or maybe, maybe you didn't grow up in a church at all, but you still have some concept that comes to your mind when you hear the word church. And my guess would be that regardless of what that concept is, regardless of what it is that comes into your mind when you hear that word church, my guess would be that it's a far cry from what the first church was actually like when it was launched by Jesus in the book of Acts. And that's actually what we are going to be looking at today is what was the first church actually like? You see, the first church didn't have a building. There, there was no band, there was no stage, there was no staff members. But the first church was simply a movement of people who were joined together on a mission of sharing the message of Jesus. That, that simply is what the first church was. It, was. it was simply a movement of people joined around a mission of sharing the message of Jesus. And so often when we think of a church, and what you just did when I asked that question, is so often when we think of a church, we think of a place where people come and sit. But, but the scriptures and what we'll see in the book of Acts is, is they describe the church not as a place people come and sit, but as a group of people who go and share the message of Jesus. And so, so the question is, if this is the original concept of church— but, but today, when we think of church, we think of a place where people come and sit. What happened? What is it that, that brought this difference from where church started to what we think of today? Well, I'm going to give a brief overview of some church history and even uh, introduce some Greek terms that I think will help us kind of see what brought this shift in focus. You see, in the Greek New Testament, which is the language that most of the New Testament was written in, the word that we use, uh, church, was actually originally the word ekklesia. And it was a combination of two Greek words, ek, which is out, and kaleo, called. And so the original concept of what the church was, it was a, a group of people who were called out. They're, they're, they're an assembly of people or a congregation of people who were called out on mission for Jesus. And that was the original term that was used for church. But over the years, uh, something that I would say is actually a very terrible thing happened. And, and what happened is, is that instead of seeing church as being a movement of people, church began to be seen as a place that you went for religious services. Uh, in fact, the word church that we use today is not based on the original ecclesia, but is actually based on a German word that was uh, invented and started to be used uh, throughout the, the Middle Ages, that was the word kirk. 
And that was a, a word that meant a sacred place where people would gather for religious purposes. And so even the word itself shifted into, into a word that described a place that was attended. But ultimately, this is not the expectation that Jesus has for his church. And what you began to see was instead of the movement, and, 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 and now that church is becoming to be seen as a place, you, you had a lot of corruption that began to, to happen. And the church, instead of being focused on reaching those who are far from God, became focused on those inside of the movement. So it became an institution. And, and it was focused on providing religious services for, for people who were inside the institution. And actually what happened is it became very corrupt because the leaders of the church set things up where, where they could use their power and use their authority for their own advantage. And it had almost no connection to the original church that Jesus had launched that we see in the book of Acts. But then something that I think is absolutely incredible happened. And that is there was a group of people who decided that, that they didn't want to allow this corrupt, perverted concept of church to continue. They wanted to go back to the original plan that Jesus had for his church of being a movement of people on mission. And they are known as the Reformers. And one of the most uh, famous Reformers was a man named William Tyndale. And in order to see this, this change happen in the church, William Tyndale decided that the best thing that he could do was to, to get a translation of the scriptures that was in common English so that everyone could read the Bible because the religious leaders of the church were kind of, they were the only ones who had the Bible. And so they were using it kind of as a source of power and they, you know, just kind of said, hey, trust us, right? We, we know what we're talking about. And Tyndale realized that that was causing corruption. So he wanted everybody to have a common language uh, copy of the New Testament that they could read and know what Jesus actually said. And so when he set out to, to translate the Bible into this common language, when he came to the term ecclesia, that the church had been, uh, had been saying was church, he began using the term congregation instead of church. Because he was trying to emphasize that the church was not a place you went to, but a movement that you belong to. Well, this translation and the work of Tyndale infuriated the church leaders because they benefited from the system that was in place. And so ultimately, Tyndale would be tried as a heretic. He would be both hung and then burned, which is the definition of overkill. And ultimately, right before his trial, I'm sorry, which would lead to his death, he, he said this. He said to the priest who was standing for him, he said, If God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. And ultimately, his final words before he died were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And if you have a copy of the Bible in the King James Version or know of the King James Version, you know that ultimately God answered Tyndale's prayer. And the translation uh, that he created ultimately would be uh, spread to people all across the church. Common people now would have a copy of the Bible in their language. You see, the danger of the church 
in every generation, both, both in, the, in the time of, of William Tyndale and today, is to stop being a movement and to instead become a ministry that provides services to people inside, or even worse, a place that people simply come and attend. But the church is a movement. And a smart person said, movements move. And it's absolutely true. If you are part of a movement, you're not just sitting or attending. You should be moving. And so the question that we ask this morning as we look at Acts chapter 1, and the question we'll be asking all throughout this sermon series, throughout the summer on the book of Acts, is are we as a church just doing ministry? Are we just running an institution that provides services for insiders? Or are we part of a movement that is moving out on mission to reach people who are far from God around our city, around our state, around our country, and around the world? And then for you personally, is the church just a place that you attend? Or is it a movement that you are personally part of? We're going to go to the scriptures to see how this church originally started. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Acts. We'll be in chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there, um, what we're seeing today is, is that Jesus, after he had died and risen from the dead, he, he gathered uh, with his followers. He had spent 40 days with his followers, and, and this was the last day that they were to be together. And they gathered together on a hillside, and this is what happened, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And verse 8, this is, this is really the core verse uh, for sure of this passage, but really it's the core verse of the entire book of Acts. It says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And as we look at this passage, I want us to notice together three ideas that we need to understand in order to be the church that Jesus intended for us to be. And the first idea that I want you to notice with me is that the message of Jesus creates the mission of the church. Now, at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, Luke writes about the first book. Now, what is the first book? What is, what is he asking about? What is he writing about? Well, this is not the first book that Luke has written. The first book that Luke wrote was a book called Luke. All right. Everybody awake this morning. 
It was a book called Luke, right? And, and, and that really was the first part of a two-part series. This book of Acts was really the sequel to the book of Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor. He was a wealthy man. He was a well-educated man. And he was a close friend of Paul's. But Luke actually was not an eyewitness or an original disciple of Jesus. Uh, Luke was a person who, who came along later and trusted in the resurrected Christ. And so what Luke set out to do was to be an investigative reporter. He, he wanted to see, he wanted to talk to the people who heard the teaching of Jesus. He wanted to, to, to get the stories of those who, who had encountered Jesus. He wanted to gather evidence of, of who Jesus was. And he compiled all of that, all of his reports and all of the, the things he gathered together, he compiled into this book of Luke. And so to get back to the point, Luke was, was writing this book of Acts with the understanding that the people who were reading it, the people who are, who are reading the things that he's now saying in Acts, that they already had the basic knowledge that he had given in the book of Luke. And so in order to just summarize a very long book into a very short summary, the message that Luke anticipated them having already known was, was really just the story of Jesus. It was, it was the message of the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. Right? He, he, in the book of Luke, he, he describes the ministry of Jesus, that, that Jesus lived a sinless life of ministering to people, of healing people, of, of teaching people truths about God. And then in all of that, he, Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. And that claim made the religious, powerful people very upset. Right? They hated him and they wanted him dead for that. And so we see in the book of Luke that, that ultimately these men uh, falsely accused Jesus of, of fake charges, that he was tried, that he was beaten, and ultimately that he was crucified in the most humiliating criminal death on the cross. But what Luke would write is that Jesus was not simply dying on the cross, but when he was on the cross, he was paying the penalty. He was taking the punishment for our sins. And he didn't stay dead, but Luke would describe that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. And that now Jesus offers to anyone who would turn from their sins and trust in him, he offers forgiveness of sin, a relationship with God as father and eternal life. And what we see is that in the book of Acts, Luke is saying, you're called to, as a church, you're called to take that message and take it to every single person who does not know Christ today. That was, that was the mission of the first church, and it's the mission of our church here today. Now, what's incredible is that the apostles in the first church, they were so committed to this mission of taking the message of Jesus to those who are far from God that they were willing to sacrifice their lives for that mission. They would die. So many of the early church would die as martyrs in order to spread the message of Jesus. And the reason that they were willing, they were so committed to this message that they were, message that they were willing to die to see it spread is because they understood that, that this was the only way for people to have their sins forgiven and to receive eternal life. Now, I've had conversations with people that when I have said what, what I just said there, that, that Jesus is the only way to God, that, that turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus is the only way to receive salvation and, and to experience a relationship with God, their response 
Maybe, maybe is the response of, of even some in the room this morning, which is that that is an incredibly arrogant thing to say. That is an incredibly narrow-minded and exclusive statement to make. But my response is that if this is not true and there are other ways to God, then God would not have put his son through the cross. You see, we see this when, when Jesus, the night before he's, he's going to be arrested and ultimately crucified, he's in the garden. And he's praying to the Father, and what does he say? He says, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now, if there was another way, wouldn't God have, have looked at his son in agony in the garden and said, actually, you don't need to do this. You don't need to be tortured. You don't need to be crucified. Because if people would just believe in something sincerely, or if people would just be good enough, then I'll accept them. So don't worry about the whole cross thing. Well, obviously, if that was an option, that's what he would have done. But that was not the case. And Jesus' death on the cross was the only way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to have a relationship with God both now and for all of eternity. You see, this is what Peter would say later in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter would say, Neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, as followers of Jesus, what, what the scriptures would tell us is that we have the only message that can bring about eternal life. And if that is true, then we must share it with everyone around us. Uh, one great Christian said that really Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Right? If we have found that, if we have found the only source of eternal life, and if we have experienced the forgiveness of our, the reality that our sins are forgiven, the reality that, that we have now received the unconditional love of the Father, if we have experienced that, that the, the hope of knowing that we have eternal life with God, then we should want to share that with others, just like the first church did. And really, this is kind of how we're wired anyway. I mean, when we, when we experience something great, what do we want to do? We want to tell other people about it. I am, I'm a person who loves to eat. I know that's a, a shocker, but I love to eat. And, and, and when I go and I try a new restaurant that I really like, or I have a meal that I really like, I am telling everybody about it. Why? Because I want them to have that experience as well. Maybe, maybe you're a movie person and you love movies. When you see a movie that is a great movie, what do you do? You tell other people about it. Now, now side note, don't be the person that ruins movies, please. I, so when I was in high school, <clears throat> The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis was, was a big movie that came out. And there was this guy, he was a really knucklehead guy, and... and he came and he told me what happened at the end of that movie. So I never got to have that experience of watching the movie and hearing the boy go, I see dead people, and being like, oh my goodness, right? I'm not bitter or anything, but don't be the person who, 
Don't be the person who ruins movies, right? But when you watch a great movie, you want to tell people. Maybe you're a music person. You, you, know, you listen to a great song, great out. You, you want to tell people about it. How much more should that be the case with the message of Jesus that has brought us salvation and eternal life? You see, the greatness of the message creates the importance of the mission. And if you have been captured by this message, if you have been captured by the greatness of what Jesus has done for you, you will live on mission. There's no other reasonable response. Well, notice next with me, the, the, the next idea that we see about how we're called to be the church that Jesus wants us to be is that the Spirit empowers ordinary people to accomplish a God-sized mission. Now, have you ever felt like you've been given a task that you're, you're really not sure how you're going to be able to accomplish? Uh, we, we talked about uh, graduates this morning. I know we have people graduating from high school, uh, people graduating from college. Maybe you can remember your graduation. For many people, graduation is this mix of emotions because we're excited about what we've accomplished, but then there's also this, this terrifying feeling of like the real world awaits us. Now we have to like get a job and start like paying bills and, and all the reality of life, and, and it can feel just overwhelming. Or, or maybe you do get the job, and your first day on the job, and your boss is, is kind of telling you this is what you're going to be doing, and you're pretending like you understand what they're saying, and you're kind of shaking your head, okay, but in, inside the secret is you have no clue. You have no clue what he's talking about or how you're going to do this job. Or, or maybe the day that you come home from the hospital with a, a, with a, a little baby, and, and all of a sudden it hits you, how in the world Am I going to keep this little helpless human alive? Like, where's the instruction manual for this? And, and you've had that feeling. Regardless, you, we've all had that feeling of a task that we're just not sure that we're ready for. Well, I want you to imagine what it would have been like to be standing there on this hillside with a group of about 100 other people, and Jesus is standing before you. And he gives you this mission in verse 8. He says, you, you are going to take the message about me. By the way, the message that just got Jesus killed. And you're going to take this message. And first, you're going to take it and you're going to share it with the people all over Jerusalem, which is the city where they live. And they're kind of going, wow, that's a lot of people, but okay, you know, we can do that. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and then you're going you're to take it and you're going to, Take that message and spread it across all of Judea, which is the bigger area around. And they're like, what in the, you know, there's no, there's, there's a hundred of us. How are we going to do that? And then he doesn't stop. He goes, and then you're going to go to Samaria, which these would have been their enemies. These are half-breeds, you know, th this mixture of Israelite and Gentile. And they hated them. They never would have stepped foot even in their city, let alone go there to, to tell them about Jesus. And then finally, Jesus drops the bomb. At the end, and he says, and to the ends of the earth. And I want to tell you that never has a more important assignment been given to a less qualified group of people. And right after Jesus gives this, this incredible task, this incredible assignment, what does he do? He leaves. He pieces out, right? 
He ascends to heaven, and he's like, good luck with that. And they're like, Jesus, do you realize how big the world is? He's like, yeah, I can see it all from up here. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like? And this was, in fact, too big of a mission for them to carry out by themselves. And Jesus tells them that before they go and carry out this great mission, they're going to need to wait. Now, how many of you all like to wait for things? I am not a person who likes to wait. Like, I have scar tissue on the roof of my mouth to prove that I don't like to wait for things. You know, like, like one of the things lately that uh, is, is a reality in my life is, is the chip reader. You know, on your credit card, you go put in the chip reader. That drives me crazy. It's like, I, you know, I had plans today, but instead I went and used the chip reader at Kroger. <laughs> like, I hate waiting for that. Maybe you guys are like that as well. But Jesus has a good reason to tell them to wait because he knows that in order to accomplish the task that he has given them, they are going to need a power that is greater than what they have. And that's why he promises them that he's going to to fill them, he's going to baptize them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is simply the presence of God coming and living inside of the people of God. And this is what Jesus says. And literally the word that's used here to fill is the word of playra, which is the concept of, of like my hand filling this glove. And the concept is that, is that when my hand fills this glove, I am now empowering this glove to do things that it cannot do on its own. And so now I'm able to use this glove to, to do things that it doesn't have the power, but because my hand is in it, I am empowering or enabling it to do that. And that's the concept that, that Jesus is giving, saying the Spirit of God is going to come and, and fill you, and he's going to empower you to do things that you cannot do on your own. And we'll see this actually happen throughout the book of Acts. We'll see the Spirit empower them, that these people who, who have honestly been afraid and been cowardly all of a sudden become bold and they're sharing the message in, in spite of their life being threatened. And he gives them the words to say, and he uses them to bring people all over the world to faith in Christ. You see, this ragtag group of people, there's a hundred people. And by the way, these aren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. Right? If you read through the New Testament, you'll see. I mean, they fail Jesus. They misunderstand Jesus. They deny Jesus. But Jesus is going to take this unimpressive, ordinary group of people to accomplish a mission that will literally change the world. Because as just as Jesus said, they would see the message of the gospel spread across Jerusalem. And then through their witness, the message would go on to Judea, and it would go over into Samaria, and it would spread across the Roman Empire, and across to Europe, and to Asia, and to Africa, and literally across the world, until it got to then a place that wasn't even on the map, America. And then it would spread across this nation to this place called Tennessee, to us here today. You see, we were the ends of the earth. And the fact that we are sitting here sharing this message and, and having God's word is fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made over 2,000 years ago. And all of this happened with a group of people smaller than the number of people who are in this room right now. 
But ordinary people were filled with the Spirit of God to carry out a God-sized mission. And the truth is that this is not just a promise that Jesus made to the first church, to these people who are standing there on the hillside. But this is a promise that Jesus has made to all his followers, to to all of the people who are part of the, the big movement of his church. And it's true for you and I today. The rest of the New Testament would tell us that when you turn from your sin and when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you are immediately filled with the very Spirit of God. And that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that used this small group of ordinary people to spread the message of the gospel across the world is the same Spirit that lives in us. And He can use ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his mission of saving lost. And I will tell you from, from my experience, and likely some of you have had this as well, there is nothing greater than being used by God to lead someone else to saving faith in Jesus. There's nothing greater than knowing that the Spirit of God is working in and through you to lead someone to an eternity-changing decision of following Jesus as Savior. And it's not something that we can do on our own. It's not something that we can accomplish on our own abilities, but it is something with the Spirit of God that he can use any of us and all of us to do. And that leads us to the final point of this message, which is that the focus of people inside the church must be on reaching people outside the church. Now, Jesus says in verse 8, he he gives a, a job description. He gives them their purpose, which is that you will be my what? my witnesses, right? And that is, the, that is the core job. That is the core identity of what they are called to be. And the word witness is the same word that, that we would use today uh, in a court. And so and maybe you've been on jury duty or you've been in a courtroom or you've watched Judge Judy or whatever, but you know that a witness comes before a stand and speaks about things that they've seen or heard about whatever the case is. And a witness's job is to speak about their experience. And it's the same job, it's the same mission, it's the same responsibility that Jesus gives to us as his followers. That we are to tell others about what we have seen and heard. And it's exactly what the first church does. It's all they do. They're constantly telling people about what they have seen and heard about Jesus. And in fact, it leads them to be arrested. And when they're sitting in a courtroom, they're they're told that if they don't stop witnessing, if they don't stop telling people about Jesus, they will be killed. And we see the response in Acts 4.20. They say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They said, we can't help but do this. Why? Because who we are is witnesses. You see, witness was not just something that they did. It was who they were. Jesus didn't say, you go witness. He said, be my witnesses. And if you claim to be a Christian, the the same is true for you. What do witnesses do? Witnesses witness. Teachers teach, leaders lead. The action is implied in the definition. And if you are a follower of Jesus, the core of your identity is to be a witness. You see, it's easy to think that witnessing is just something that we do on a mission trip. 
But what Scripture would tell us is that witness is who we are. It's our identity each and every day. And so when we go into our workplace, when we go into our school, when we go into our neighborhood, the core of who we are is that we are witnesses of the message of Jesus. And so we should approach our lives like that, right? This should, witnessing should be something that is, that is core of who we are because witnesses witness. And I'll be the first to admit, this is not easy, right? I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like witnessing, telling people about Jesus, what he's done in our life, about the gospel. It's, it's not an easy thing. In fact, I've heard uh, the definition of evangelism as being two very nervous people talking to one another. And that's a reality. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. But here's the thing. Isn't the message important enough to be worth a little awkwardness? Isn't the eternal salvation of people around us worth the possibility that they think we're a little bit weird? I think it is. I think that's what Jesus would command us to do, and I think that's what love would lead us to do for others. But this is not just the call for us as individuals. I want us to hear this. It's not just that we as individuals are called to be witnesses, but this is collectively what we are called to be together as a church. You see, we don't, as a church, we don't need to get everybody together like in a boardroom and start like, you know, doing some, some notes on a dry erase board about what we think our mission is to be as a church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus has given us the mission. We don't determine that he does. Our responsibility is to follow that mission. But it's so easy to forget that what we are called to do as a church is to reach those outside the church. It's so easy to fall into an insider focus and to think that our job is, is just, to, just to serve those inside the church. But ultimately, that's not what Jesus calls us to do. You see, he calls us to go to those who are far from God, to tell them that God loves them, to tell them that Jesus has done everything necessary to accomplish forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life, and he's called us to share that message. And I've heard an illustration that I think is helpful of the purpose of the church. It says that there's a difference between a cruise ship and a battleship. If you go on a cruise ship, what are your expectations of that experience as a passenger? Well, on a cruise ship, you expect to be entertained. You expect to be well-fed. You expect that the crew is here to kind of take care of your needs, and you want to be comfortable, right? You just want to relax. But a battleship is extremely different because a battleship goes out not for entertainment but on a mission, And ultimately, this is the focus of people who are on a battleship. is not on themselves and their comfort and their entertainment, but the mission that they are part of. And the way that Jesus describes the church in Acts is much more like a battleship than a mission trip. And I can tell you, this is, this is not easy. People, if you, you know, everybody would prefer to go on a cruise ship, right? Everybody would prefer that. And I know that's a reality. It, it may be difficult, and it will certainly not always be comfortable to live on mission. But it will be purposeful. Because we will be joining a mission 
that began on a hillside with a small group of people who loved Jesus more than anything and ultimately who were willing to give up everything in order to follow him. And because of their faithfulness to the mission, millions and millions of people have experienced the forgiveness of sins and the the eternal life that is available through the message of Jesus. Because they chose mission over comfort, you and I are sitting here in this room in Maryville, Tennessee, at the ends of the earth. And now it's our turn. You see, the bottom line of this message is that Jesus calls you to live a life that will outlive your life. Let's not settle as Christians or as a church for anything less than being focused on reaching the people around us who are far from God with the message of Jesus. Because the world around us is is literally filled. Our city, the state is filled with people who are far from God who are hurting, who are blinded by Satan, who are headed towards eternal destruction. Let's move out towards them with the mission that God loves them and that through trusting in Jesus, they can be forgiven and have eternal life with him. And I think one of the best things for for us to to focus on this mission, for us to be uh, empowered and, and excited about this mission It's to be reminded first and foremost of the fact that this is the mission that came to us. That this is the message that first saved us. And I think one of the best ways for us to do that is what Jesus gave us in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, as he said, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And as he, as he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which was given for the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus gave this, he was giving us a physical reminder of the love of Jesus for us, of what Jesus did for us. And so this is what we're gonna do together as a church. We're gonna, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I do, I do wanna remind you that the, the Lord's Supper is is specifically for those who have truly turned from sin and trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And so if you've never done that, if you've never truly been saved, I would urge you, I would beg you to not leave here today until you have trusted Jesus. We have people in the care and prayer room, which is outside in the lobby to the left, who would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. Please, Jesus has done everything necessary to offer you salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Please don't leave here today without doing that. But for those of us who are Christians, as we take the supper, I want to encourage you. As you get the bread and as you get the juice, I want you to first focus your mind on what Jesus has done for you to save you, to to accomplish the forgiveness of your sins. But next, I want you, I want you to think about the people who brought that message to you. Who are the men? Who are the women? Who brought the message of Jesus to you? Thank God for them. 
And the next, I want you to think about the people around you. The people who right now at this very moment are far from God. Who've never trusted Jesus. And pray that God through his spirit would use you to do what he used others to do for you. Which is take the only hope of salvation, the message of the gospel. That he would use you, an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, to accomplish his purpose. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that you did not leave us helpless and hopeless and alone at the ends of the earth. But that first you sent Jesus for us. That he came and lived the perfect life we failed to live. And then he died on the cross to pay for our sins, to offer us forgiveness, to offer us a relationship with you, to offer us the hope of eternal life. But Father, thank you that not only did you send Jesus, but you sent your church. You sent ordinary men and women who believed that the mission was more important than their comfort. But they brought the message to us. Father, may we be those who settle for nothing less than accomplishing your mission of taking your message through the power of your spirit to those who are far from you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.